This episode is sponsored by the Adoption Connection Village, a place where you can connect with other adoptive moms who get it and be surrounded with support so you know you're not alone. We are really excited about the village because adoptive and foster parenting really brings unique challenges to families and a lot of people around us don't understand. And so we need to be surrounded by people who get us. Yes, that isolation is really the breeding ground for shame and guilt. And, you know, both of us have been to these dark places. I mean, I don't think either of us could have anticipated what this journey would cost us in our relationships, sometimes even with friends and family. It's very hard for people to understand what we're going through. Absolutely. But we do get it. And we want to have a special place where we can really connect in a much deeper way, as close as we can to actually be in person. So obviously, we can't all gather around Lisa's Kitchen Island, but we have created something called virtual coffee chats. And these happen over video chat. And it's a whole group of us. And it's been really, really fun to see your faces, get to know your stories and connect with you from on a much deeper level. We do these coffee chats in the village three to four times a month. And we focus at least one of them a month on specifically the challenges of teens and young adults, because we have heard from you guys that that is a space that needs a little extra TLC and support. So the village is for you if you feel like you need more people in your life who understand you, you crave authentic and intimate community, and especially if you don't have Facebook or you want to limit your time there, so you don't want to be in a group maybe that's based on Facebook. And I think the thing that's so important is that, you know, we know you are pouring your hearts and your souls into your kids, and maybe nobody is pouring back into you, but we want to do that. Besides the coffee chats, we have a discussion forum that's kind of like a Facebook group on steroids that really helps connect you with topics that are relevant to your story and folks who are local to you. We also release monthly premium content such as deeper dives into what connected parenting really looks like in real life. And there's even a monthly Enneagram connection video where we help you better understand yourself and your family's dynamics. The Village really is your one-stop shop for personalized support. We want this to be accessible to as many parents as possible. So it's just $24.99 a month. There's no commitment. You can cancel at any time. Go to theadoptionconnection.com slash village to find out more or get started. Welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it and we're here for you. Hi, friends. Welcome to episode 94 of the Adoption Connection podcast. Hey, Lisa, how are you? I am doing pretty well. Thank you. How about you? I am doing pretty well. We, I had an episode a couple days ago, actually, right before we talked, I literally, this has never happened before in the history of our meeting. I almost called you to cancel. <laughs> it was book launch day and I knew you were crazy, but I literally, something happened with our bathroom because it's not 100% finished yet. And I was so stressed out and I was, I was angry and I was grumpy and I had just like snapped at like three people in my family and usually like work stuff and like talking to friends is kind of like how I get like out of funks like that. But I literally was just in such a funk. I was like, I don't even know if I can talk to her and be like a decent human being. Um, and actually what I did was listen to about five minutes of 
special music that we're going to talk about today. And within minutes, I could feel like my nervous system calming. Cause now that I know all the brain science, like I knew that there was probably something I could do to snap myself out of it. Like that pattern interrupt. Um, anyway, so that's today. We're going to talk about special music. We are, we are. We're going to talk about this, uh, special music. It's an auditory intervention designed to reduce stress and auditory sensitivity while engaging social engagement and resilience. Okay, I didn't come up with all those words. Those are actually from the website for this method we're going to talk about. But the reason we're talking about it is because our children who've experienced adversity or trauma, you know, they tend to have a lot of fear they, in their bodies. They are just running on fear. Like I always say, I feel like it was coursing through my daughter's veins. And in some ways it was. And the thing about chronic fear is our children are then functioning in the lower regions of their brains and the the more developed prefrontal cortex, they just can't even get it online. So they can't access that part of their brain when they're activated like that. So today we want to talk about a method called the safe and sound protocol that you are very familiar with, Melissa. And just as another tool and potential uh, intervention that people can use for their kids. Yeah, because I know that when we were in really desperate places, all I did was research all the things, you know, and if there's anything that seemed like it was a little bit promising, I was jumping on board. We dragged our kids to, you know, all kinds of therapists and we did neurofeedback and we did supplements and we did the cortisol testing with the saliva, you know, and the amino acids and the, all the things. Right. And so you know, there's not one size fits all. There's not one magic tool, but I think there are a couple things that are important parts of our toolbox and the safe and sound protocol. I wish we had had it six years ago, but I have done a lot of research and really believe in it. I've seen it change a handful of families that I've worked with and the science and the research shows that it's really had a significant impact on the world. Um, and it's one of the simpler things to do. It doesn't require you having to go to an office uh, necessarily. And in the price point in all things considered, you know, is fairly reasonable for the kind of return on investment you get. So, so let's go back. I want to hear about how and why the safe and sound protocol works. So a lot of us are already familiar with fight, flight, or freeze. We use a lot of terminology about our kind of upstairs and downstairs brains, you know, where we have this part of our brain that's always scanning for survival and it's called our neuroception. And then we have kind of our, what we call our upstairs brain, right? The part that's thinking, uh, it's the thing that sets us apart from other animal groups, right? Humans, we think and we have critical thinking and we do something that a lot of other animal groups don't, which is socially engage with each other. And of course we know if you have experience or you've heard of trust-based relational intervention, Dr. Karen Purvis, Lisa, who you just released a great book with, right? Used to tell us that what is broken in relationship has to heal within a safe relationship. And that's different than, you know, your turtle in your aquarium or, you know, the deer running through the woods behind my house, right? They, they don't have this, um, the same kind of 
social interaction where they can derive safety from each other, where we can interact and, and where, Lisa, I can look at you and understand that you're upset, overwhelmed, you're scared, and you can use me as a co-regulating force to feel safe. And so um, there are cues that our nervous system is taking from the environment all the time to tell us whether we're safe, whether it's from the people around us or other things in the environment, you know? And so our brain has a nerve called the polyvagal nerve and poly just means many. And this nerve has nerve endings to pretty much every part of our body. It comes off the base of our skull right near that fight or flight part of our brain. And it goes up into our thinking part of our brain, but then it also goes down into all of our organs. And so it's taking cues from the things that we hear and the things that we see and some other nonverbal things to tell our nervous system whether or not it thinks that we're safe. And our kids who have had a long history of traumatic experiences, broken relationship, that system is telling them that they're not safe, even if they are. Because it's, it's one of those systems, just like the rest of us, um, the rest of our brains, that has this confirmation bias, right? So if we have a history of safety, then our nervous system assumes and looks for safety. But if we have a history of hurt and fear and broken relationships, then we're going to be looking for, you know, continued fear and danger. So a lot of parents might say, well, my child's safe now. They're safe in my family, safe in my home. And so they shouldn't have this chronic problem with chronic fear anymore. But we know that even though we know the child's safe, their bodies, they don't necessarily know this. Is that what you're saying about chronic fear? Yeah. And, and their confirmation bias is tilted towards looking for fear. So for example, one of my kids used to always say to me, why are you mad at me? Are you mad at me? And I wasn't, I mean, I was sometimes, but she would say it even (laughs) if I was just offering like a snack, she would say, are you mad at me? Your voice sounds mad, right? Because she had a long history of not being safe and she was hypervigilant to my voice and the tone of my voice. And she would fear that I was mad at her through the tone of my voice because she was looking for it. She assumed that I didn't want her. I didn't like her. I didn't think she was precious. And she was always looking for those cues. And so she missed a lot of the cues of safety that I was offering her because she was hypervigilant on those cues of, um, of danger and fear. On the flip side, I think I shared this in a recent podcast episode, but uh, we have forgotten now twice to pick up our 17-year-old from a friend's house, like at the end of an evening. <laughs> mm-hmm. and he is one of our securely attached children. And so he neither time was upset. He was like, oh yeah, I figured you would come eventually. Or, you know, I knew you were busy. You know, the story, the underlying story that our kids are telling themselves is different based on their past interactions. That's such a good point. And, and I think it's important to note that it's not that our children want to blame us or not believe that we care or anything. This is just literally how their brains have been wired from their experiences. And so that's part of our goal in, in helping rewire their brains and create new neural pathways is disarming this chronic fear so they can actually learn through these new experiences. 
Yeah, absolutely. So tell me a little bit how safe and sound protocol is different from other therapies. So the safe and sound protocol through listening, because I talked about the polyvagal nerve that goes to all of our different sensory organs and also goes to our lungs and our digestive system is taking cues. And a lot of the cues it's taking are sounds that we hear. And, you know, if you've been doing trust-based parenting or connected parenting for a while, you may feel like you could do it all right. And your child's still going to have that underlying story of fear that we were just talking about. And it, sometimes it feels like, how can we ever get over this hump where the story and the landscape starts to shift. And like you were saying, Lisa, it's not a conscious decision on the part of our kids. It's their nervous system doing what it was designed to do, which is protect them for survival. What the Safe and Sound Protocol does is through special music that uses certain frequencies that we know through brain science help spontaneously tell the nervous system that it is safe and moves the nervous system into what we call social engagement or our upstairs brain, it helps to reset the story that our nervous system is telling us. And so instead of being looking for the bias towards fear, now it's going to start looking for the confirmation bias of safety. And so it's different than other therapies in that one, it's very physiological, right? So it doesn't require our kids to have verbal memories of what they've experienced. It doesn't require them to necessarily process them out loud or acknowledge them. It doesn't require them to even have language. Um, But it also, I like to call it like the gateway therapy. It helps other therapies be more effective. So can you describe for us what this would actually look like if a parent were doing the safe and sound protocol with their child, what actually happens? So the good news is, is it's fairly simple. It's a listening protocol. So what happens is thanks to COVID, this is one of the silver linings is instead of needing physical equipment, integrated listening systems, who is the company that kind of, uh, delivers the music now has an app where people can download an app to either an Android or an Apple device and access the music. So every day or most days, a child or you, because we actually have parents do this too, because our nervous systems need to be calmed down. Like I mentioned at the beginning, I listen to it to calm down as well. Your child or, and, or you would listen to the music up to 30 minutes a day. So no more than 30 minutes a day. And the length of a session actually really depends on you and your child. So, you know, one of the things about trauma is that we don't have control when we're in traumatic situations. And that's one of the things that makes them register as trauma in our nervous system. And so when we do the safe and sound protocol, we like to give, you know, as much shared control as we can to the person doing it. And so if you get five minutes in and all of a sudden you're like, nah, or your child's like, I'm done, then that's okay. So there's not this expectation to try to coerce them or bribe them to sit, to do, you know, something very long. Um, It's very self kind of moderated. And, you know, we kind of attune to our own nervous systems and to the 
to those of our child. So we always have parents be with children who are doing it. So they, they'll notice sometimes a child might not say I'm done, but they might start to get really, really fidgety or a little bit agitated. And then we can say, Hey, it's time to take a break. We'll pick up tomorrow. Um, and, and children don't have to sit still to do it. They can be playing with Play-Doh or even going on a quiet walk. It's just, um, nothing super loud to interfere with the music, but you know, there's a lot of flexibility in that. And so we, we want kids to feel like this time of listening is a really special time and it can be a really great time of bonding. You know, Lisa, you talk about your famous double person rocking chair, you know, you could definitely curl up with your child in your lap and while they listen and just kind of rock gently, that would be a great option as well. And can you listen to it together? I mean, like completely co-regulate and listen to this? You can. I always have parents do a little bit first because sometimes depending on the parent's nervous system and because this is creating such a big shift in the nervous system, if we do it too fast or if we're not used to it, it can feel a little uncomfortable at first. And so if you're one of those people that feels a little uncomfortable as you're getting used to the music, you probably don't want to do it with your child because you want to be able to focus on your own regulation and you won't be able to co-regulate with them if you're kind of feeling distracted by it. But if it is calming to you, then for sure you could do it with your child as well. So if you listen to this and rocked in a rocking chair together and chewed gum, you you kind of have it covered, right? I mean, all, kind of have it all. Right, made. you have it all. <laughs> so we've talked about this already, but um, just to clarify a little more, who would you actually recommend this for? I recommend this for anybody who's really having trouble, trouble regulating if they're having trouble regulating and they have some other indications like sensory processing issues, um, digestive issues, sleep issues, any kind of regu- all those things are regulatory systems in our body, right? Digestion is supposed to have a rhythm. Sleep's supposed to have a rhythm. And when our nervous system is not feeling safe, all of those rhythms are off. And so this, the safe and sound protocol can really help restore that balance. Um, you know, kids have to be willing to at least put headphones on, you know, to start. So each parent knows their child and knows whether or not, you know, they would be compliant or willing to, to listen to music as something that's helpful. I even have parents do this with teens. And a lot of the times, because a lot of the other therapies we're asking our teens to do require so much. And so this one feels like, well, could you just listen to music for a little while? Um, But also sometimes our kids understand that the way that they're behaving in the world is not the way they want to, you know, they feel just as confused and out of control. And so they are looking to have something be helpful. And this is a, is really accessible and kind of has a low entry point to, you know, it's not like you have to sit down with a stranger and spill all your dark secrets. What would be the youngest you have would recommend this for the youngest child? I normally say about three, although I just saw a presentation recently that said children as young as 18 months. Um, there's been a lot. Initially, this protocol was designed for kids on the autism spectrum who had significant sensory, um, specifically auditory sensitivity issues. And then it was kind of this happy accident. That they realized all the different ways that the polyvagal nerve helps the nervous system calm and that had all these implications for things like trauma. 
And so the original protocol was a very acute specific, like five day thing. You listen for an hour. There was all of these, like, it, because it was done for research, there were all of these things. Everyone had to do it the same way because that's how they could get the most accurate data. So now that it's been out in the world and practitioners have been using it in their practices with real life families, we've really learned a lot more about it. And so I think we're understanding that it can be beneficial for even younger children uh, because we can modify how we're using the music more than we thought we could even a year ago. That's so interesting. I, I think this is a great uh, potential tool for parents to be looking into. So if someone's listening to this today and they want to know more, how can they find out more? So I am a practitioner and I, people can go to my website at the corkboardonline.com slash SSP for safe and sound protocol and schedule just a free consultation to just chat with me a little bit more to see if it is a good fit for your family. No obligation, of course, you know, we can just chit chat and see, but I, every single family that I've helped has seen either nominal gains in one area. And some kids have seen massive gains across all different pillars that we measure. We do a pre and post assessment. And some of the situations where the gains haven't been like huge have been through COVID. And so when you take like what we would, the regression we might expect from our kids and know that sometimes the safe and sound protocol has just kept you stable through a a worldwide crisis situation, it's pretty incredible. Um, And you know, the other thing that's so interesting is Dan Hughes and Kim Golding, you know, they created the, this pyramid of need, which is kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of need, but for, you know, you know, a different part of the nervous system really. And felt safety is at the very, very bottom of that pyramid. And without that foundational layer, the other things on top are things like developing healthy relationships, comfort and co-regulation, empathy and reflection. Like how often have we looked at our kids and wondered like, why are they so self-centered? Why can't they see how their behavior is affecting everyone else? Or, or why, you know, are they so egocentric? Resilience and resources, which includes our, our, our kids' self-esteem. So how often do we talk about our kids, um, especially our teens, like their confidence level and their ability to go out in the world? And then lastly, our ability to explore trauma and mourn our losses, which is a lot what we know we need at the end for healing. And a lot of times, I know when our kids came home, we like put them right in trauma therapy and it was talk therapy. And we expected them to go talk to this therapist who did take weeks to build rapport with them but we wanted them to exactly that explore trauma and mourn their losses. But without this pyramid of need, which I didn't have six years ago, I didn't understand how to move them from the bottom up. You know, I started at the top of the pyramid. Mm-hmm. That's such a good point. Well, if you are listening to this uh, episode today and you would like to know more about the safe and sound protocol, Melissa mentioned you can go to her website, but if you are not in a place where you can write it down, you can find her website in our show notes, which will be at theadoptionconnection.com slash 94. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as The Adoption Connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom doing good work and we're here for you. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.